I want to start off with a question this morning. What, what does it mean to be devoted to something? Like, what does that mean? Or, or, or maybe another way to say that is this. How would you describe devotion if you were trying to explain it to a child, right? What are some words or explanations you'd have of what devotion is? What does it mean to be devoted? And by the way, you can go ahead and answer. I'm looking for audience participation right now. So what does it mean? Loyalty, all in, dedication, trust. trust, good, what, okay, okay, good, good, dedication, yeah, good, love is a part of that devotion, you guys should work for Webster, it's good, it's good, <clears throat> The dictionary defines it way worse than you guys. <clears throat> it says this way. It's love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. Like I said, you guys are better. It's when you, it's when you give your time, your energy, your heart, uh, even sacrifice to something or someone, even at personal cost to yourself, right? To be devoted, to be committed, right? We, 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 you get it because you've just been throwing out some words that we understand this idea of being devoted to something. And today, we are going to, be, to, to explore four priorities of the early church that they were devoted to, that they were committed to, deeply, deeply committed to. If you've been uh, here for the last several weeks, you know that we have been uh, walking through uh, the book of Acts in the Bible and in the series that we're calling Family Spirit. And right now, uh, just, you know, several weeks in, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2. And last week, Tim talked about the transforming work of the Spirit. And, uh, and as you read through Acts chapter 2, the first uh, like transformed person that we are introduced to in Acts 2 is a guy by the name of Peter, right? And, and, and we sort of know Peter as one of the disciples and, um, and, and we see this transformation, this change happens in him because he goes from being fearful and insecure to being bold and confident as he proclaims the truth about Jesus before a crowd literally of thousands of people. In, in fact, let's read on and, and see the, the incredible outcome of Peter's first spirit-empowered sermon, right? This is, this is awesome. It's, it's found in the book of Acts, chapter 2, starting in verse 37. Here's what God's word says. <clears throat> now when they heard this, meaning Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
Take that, Billy Graham. I mean, that, that's incredible. 3,000 people came to Jesus, to faith in Jesus, from that very first spirit-empowered message of Peter. And, and what we see in Peter is a, a different guy, a brand new person from what we knew of him literally weeks earlier when he denied even knowing Jesus. And now all of a sudden he's proclaiming Jesus before huge crowds of people. It's pretty incredible. And God had prepared a tremendous response to that first message. 3,000 people. Just think about that for a moment. 3,000 people trusted Jesus that day and they were baptized. Can you imagine? Like, that was a large baptism, right? And last week, if you were here, we got to celebrate some baptisms last weekend with some people who were just brand new in their faith, proclaiming that they're following Jesus. It was awesome. And here's what happened. As, as people began trusting Jesus and coming to faith in him, they would then enter into this new church family. It was just being established. And today what I want to do is look at the priorities that began to develop in that first church, the things that they devoted themselves to, and we read about it just right where we left off. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, here's what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that incredible? What a beautiful, compelling picture of that early church, right? This picture of these people coming together and devoting themselves to teaching and devoting themselves to fellowship or to connecting with one another and breaking bread or eating together and devoting themselves to prayer. And as a result of that, it describes this picture of the church as these people were so connected and cared so deeply for one another that they were actually selling their stuff so that they could meet the, the needs of one another. And it says they would be attending the temple together, and they would be praying together, they ate in each other's homes, and as a result, it says this, that they enjoyed favor in their community. In other words, people outside of the faith looked at the church, and, and, and they had a positive perspective of those believers, of that church. And as a result, day by day, people were coming to faith. In fact, I think this was happening. There were people looking in at what was going on here going, this is crazy. What's going on with these people? They're like so radically you know, passionate about Jesus and about one another that they're like selling their stuff and they're meeting each other's needs and they're together and they're, they're, they're connecting with, there's this amazing thing happening. There were people who were probably looking in at that going, I want that. And daily, people were coming to faith in Jesus. What a beautiful picture of the church. But I also want to acknowledge that as you even heard that as I was reading it, it, it might not just be like a beautiful picture. It might be kind of an unsettling picture. Let's just be honest. 
unsettling because that level of devotion and generosity that we just read about is rarely experienced today. In fact, you, you might have been hearing that going, that doesn't sound like reality, right? I mean, come on, come on. Like people are selling their actual stuff and like bringing that and like meeting each other's needs and they were like hanging out together all the time. You go, that's not reality. But something incredible was happening and they devoted themselves to these things. And I wonder if as we read that description of the church, if it feels just too extreme for us. But what if, what if it's not extreme? What if we have become so accustomed to the way church is that we have lost sight of what the way church could be? What if? What if we just got, this is how it works. This is what we do. We like sit there for like an hour or something on Sundays and then go and do our lives and then we come back the next Sunday and this is like it. What if we've become so accustomed to this is what it is that we've lost sight of what it could be? This is a vision, a picture of what it could be and I believe God wants to bring about again in his church. Now, I want to acknowledge something. What I just read, this description of the church, is descriptive of what was happening, not prescriptive. Right? You understand the difference? Like, it's describing what was happening, not necessarily prescribing the way it has to happen. Does that make sense? However, the priorities they devoted themselves to, which resulted in generosity and care and influence in their community, are still absolutely essential in the church today, right? So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's not say, well, this is just a description and it's not telling us what we have to do. Let's realize that the reason they were doing those things was because of what they had devoted themselves to and those priorities are the priorities of the church today as well. It's all throughout Scripture. And I want us to talk about that today. In fact, what I want to do today is to, is to look at those four practices that we just read about in Acts 2.42. And, um, and, and today what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of give you an overview of those four. And the reason why is because I believe these priorities are so crucial, so vital for the church today, that over the next four weeks we're going to unpack each of those four in one message all by itself. So today, I just want to give you sort of an overview of what they're all about, and, and then even challenge us to say, where, how do I feel about the church being like that? How do I feel? Where do I fit in devotion to these four fundamental things that the church was about? So, reminder, the priorities they devoted themselves was teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. So let's unpack those together. The first one was this. They devoted themselves to teaching, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, um, if you're not really familiar with, with you know, words like this, like apostle in the Bible, here, here's how it worked. Jesus had disciples, right? He had these 12 disciples, in other words, 12 people that he primarily poured his time and his energy into. Um, and, and, and at some point along the ministry, he gave them this title or this role of an apostle. He named them, you are 
my 12 apostles. And the word apostle simply means one who is sent out. Right? So you are my sent out ones. I, I, I deem you. Um, you are going to pass along what I've given you. You are my apostles. And, and what we learned, what we already talked about a few weeks ago in, in Acts chapter 1, is that these apostles are gathered together. They're waiting for the coming of the Spirit. And they realize that we're down one. Right? Because one of those 12, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, was no longer with them. And so they realize that we need to uh, appoint another person, somebody who's been with us from the very beginning, and, um, and that, that person's name was Matthias, right? So he became the 12th. So we have these 12 apostles, and what they began to do in this early church was they were responsible to teach the church the things that Jesus had taught them, right? So they just spent three years with Jesus, and now they're coming and they're teaching the things that Jesus had taught them. And out of that, this priority arose in the church that they devoted themselves, they committed themselves to the teaching of Jesus. It wasn't some casual sort of you know, commitment. It wasn't like, well, if I hear it, if I don't. It was like, we are absolutely devoted and committed to being learners, to being taught the truth about Jesus. They were, they were like spiritual sponges soaking up the truth about Jesus. And so I think it would be appropriate to stop for a second and ask ourselves a question, okay? Do we, or let's make it even more personal, do I reflect that priority in my own life? Would a devotion to teaching be a description of your life? Would it be a description of, of our church family being devoted to the teaching of Jesus? You see, here's the thing. All those things that the apostles taught, you see, at the beginning, they didn't have what we now call the New Testament scriptures, right? They had Old Testament, okay, scriptures before Jesus came. And, uh, and so the only teaching they had about Jesus was by word of mouth, right? The apostles began to teach them about Jesus. And then as time went by, they were inspired to write that down, and it became what we now have as God's inspired word, the, the New Testament, right? And so today, we have that. That's the teaching that they heard. And so the question is, do I have a devotion to this? Does that reflect a priority of my life that I'm devoted to learning the truth about Jesus? Do I, am I devoted to this? Would that be an accurate term to describe you? I'm not saying that to like make you feel bad. I'm just, let's all ask that question. Is, does that ref, reflect who I am? Or does God need to do some work in me to develop a hunger and a desire to make that a priority in my life? And, and as I look around this church family, I see signs of that kind of devotion beginning in this church. We have a small but committed group of people, some of you are probably in the service right now, who... Um, Come here at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings for our donuts class, right? And in our donuts class, it's not just about donuts. Um, it's really about teaching and engaging in that teaching about who Jesus is, about God's word, right? And that's a pretty cool sign to me that that's beginning to rise within our church, this desire. There's a group of ladies who come here on Wednesdays, 
And, and the whole reason they come together is the purpose of learning the Bible. A couple of weeks ago, I was standing out right out there in the lobby while people were coming in. And uh, a lady came into church, into the building, and, and she immediately sort of made a beeline over, I don't know if you ever noticed this before, there's sort of a table back there on, on the side. And on the top of it, there's all these different kind of pieces of paper. And one of those is, uh, it's just like a piece of paper with some lines on it. And it says, you know, message notes or something. And she made her way over there and grabbed one of those and said, I got to have this because I have to take notes so that during the week I can go back over it. And it was like, that was really encouraging to me because I thought that's, that's kind of a picture of devotion, right? Like, I don't just want to like hear it, but I want to go over it again. I want this to soak into my soul. So, if one of the priorities that the early church at the very beginning devoted themselves was the teaching about Jesus, does that reflect our priority, your priority? Because I believe God wants to do that in us. They devoted themselves to teaching, and they, secondly, they devoted themselves to fellowship, right? Fellowship. Now, <clears throat> I have to admit something to you. Uh, our staff knows this. Exactly. I have a personal problem with the word fellowship. Okay, I'm just, I'm just admitting it to you right now. You may, last service I said, is anybody with me? And like two people. So like evidently, everybody likes the word fellowship but me. Um, but I just, I don't know, I, I grew up, like, I grew up going to church, like, we were, like, religious, right, when I grew up, and we'd go to church every Sunday, and I heard the word fellowship about 10 million times, you know, and, and fellowship always described, like, these gatherings of the church, or we would have fellowship hour, or we would be, you know, we'd have fellowship together, and I heard it all my life that I, I, I sort of, it sort of feels like sandpaper to me, and, 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 it, and it just sort of like, um, I don't know, it feels churchy to me. And maybe that's just me. Evidently, last service, I was the only one. But um, there's just something about this idea of the word fellowship that doesn't connect with me personally. That's just my thing. Um, I mean, for instance, when was the last time you had some friends over for dinner and you said, hey, we just want to fellowship with you? You probably haven't said that. You probably said, I want to hang out with you. Or I want to, anyway, Sorry. I can tell by the crowd right now I'm the only one in the room. So maybe I sh I'll, just, I'll, I'll just shut my mouth and I won't say anything about it anymore. <laughs> now here's the thing. I may personally not be thrilled with the word fellowship, but here's what we need to understand. The English word fellowship, right, that is just a translation from what this was originally written in. It was originally written in the Greek. And the word that is translated fellowship is the word koinonia in the Greek. And that word means sharing something in common. Even more specifically, it means this. It means an intimate communion and participation with one another, particularly in things of faith. Okay? It's an intimate communion and participation with one another, particularly in things of faith, right? And, and so, so that's this picture, which is probably a deeper picture than sometimes we think of as fellowship. This deep connection, koinonia, with one another. And here's the thing. 
It's not that just connecting with one another is a good idea. The Bible says over and over again that we actually need one another. You can't just go, well, they devoted themselves to the fellowship or to this deep connection with one another because it was like a good idea or they didn't have any other friends. It's that we actually need each other as we follow Jesus. In fact, listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 4. It says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. The NIV translates that last part by saying this, each member belongs to all the others. The Bible communicates this idea that as followers of Jesus in God's family, that we belong to each other. We need each other. Over and over again, God uses what we call the one another's. We need to love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, care for one another. It's very clear that this idea of fellowship or koinonia or deep connectedness is something that God created for us as his family. And in that early church, they devoted themselves to it. It was a high priority in their lives. Now, you might be thinking, it was probably easy for them. Like maybe in their culture or in that time, you know, they knew each other really well, you know. It it, it was way easier for them than it is for us today to have that kind of level of connection. And and, and I don't know that that's true. Now, indeed, their, their culture was different. They were much more engaged in each other's lives than maybe our culture is. But, but think about this. Just think about this for a minute. Here's what just happened. There were 120 people, the Bible says, like faithful followers of Jesus, 120 people who for some time had been following Jesus. They gathered together. They were waiting for the Spirit to come. And I imagine these 120 people had pretty close relationships, that they loved each other, they served each other, they cared for one another, right? It was a tight-knit group of people, 120 of them. And then, on that day, the Spirit fills them, comes, crazy Peter gets up, preaches this message, and 3,000 people are added to the church that day. Now, if you're 120 close-knit people, and 3,000 people suddenly join, that's messy, right? I don't think this was easy. No deep relationship is easy. It takes time and energy and effort and sacrifice. I don't think it was easy for them. I think, in fact, it was crazy and messy. And it said day by day, people were coming to faith. And it's like, oh, another one. I mean, it's like new people, new faces, new stories, new messy stuff that they're bringing in together. And somehow, some way, what began to emerge in that early church was this deep devotion and commitment to one another. To care for one another, to love one another. And it was so significant, in fact, that they ended up doing what we might call crazy things. But they probably saw it as, we just want to meet the needs of one another. And they started selling some stuff, and they started giving some funds, and generosity began to flow as they loved each other. But as I look at that picture of the early church, I think it's beautiful. Learning together, eating together, praying together, sharing their resources together. 
What a compelling image of Jesus' priorities emerging in the priorities of the church. Wouldn't that be awesome if Jesus' priorities emerged as our priorities as his family right here? I would love to see that happen. And I do see this priority gaining momentum in our church family. There are life groups in this church where lifelong, deep relationships and friendships are being developed. Some of you might be in kind of like a newer life group. Some of our groups have been around for years, and they have developed deep, close relationships with one another. I was really encouraged this last summer. I heard that there was a group of, I don't know, I think it was like 14 families of our church who went camping together. And it was like, some of us are going, I don't want to be with these people I'm sitting with on vacation. But there was such a level of like, we, we like each other, we enjoy each other, that we're going to go on vacation together and camp. That's a beautiful picture of devotion to one another sort of beginning to develop in our church. So let's pause for a second and make this personal. Does devotion to fellowship to sharing in life together describe you? Are you engaged in this church family? Or or do you find yourself sort of on the edges looking in? And you might be on the edges looking in because you just haven't quite figured out how to engage. But I know that there are others of you who are sort of on the edges looking in, and that's where you want to be. And in fact, maybe you've been there for years. Sort of going, and maybe there's even been this thing inside that every once in a while we'll talk about this, and you'll sort of go, yeah, I should probably engage. I I sort of feel like I should or I'd like to. But later, right? There'll be a a better time next month, or there'll be a better time next year, or things will slow down in a couple of years. And yet maybe year after year has gone by for you, and you find yourself still not quite engaged in life with one another. And I want to invite you in. Perhaps there is one step you can take towards developing a devotion to other people, to connecting in a deep way, a koinonia sort of way. We're going to talk more about that as we will all of these topics in just a couple of weeks. That first church devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, and breaking bread, right? Which breaking bread is just another word for eating together, right? They ate together. Which is closely tied, obviously, to fellowship, but it's a specific practice that the early church committed to. It was the practice of, as silly as it sounds, eating together. They just devoted themselves to make a a habit or priority of eating with one another. Now it appears, um, as you look at the scriptures, you dive in a little bit more, that the idea of breaking bread sort of has a dual meaning to it, right? In fact, a couple verses later it says they would break bread in each other's houses. In other words, they'd go to each other's houses and they would have dinner together. But there's another meaning to that, and that is this, that they also made a habit and a practice of breaking bread, which is celebrating the Lord's Supper or communion together. Right? And they did it different than us, like we did today, because they would literally 
go to each other's houses. They would have dinner together. And at some point during that dinner, they would take the bread and they would remember Jesus' body. And they would take the wine that they're drinking and they would drink that and remember Jesus' blood that was shed for them. It sort of like moved in and out, right? It wasn't just like, it's communion time now. It's we're eating together. And now let's remember Jesus together. That was a priority that they devoted themselves to in the early church. And as mundane as it may sound to eat together, actually, as you look through the Bible, it's a priority of God from beginning to end of this right here. It, it, it sounds so crazy. Eating together? Come on, God. It's all through here. In fact, you look at, at um, the Israelites that God brings together. And he brings them together and he says, here's the thing. One of the things I want to ask you to do is this. Is I want you to come together annually, multiple times a year, for the purpose of feasting and eating together. <laughs> I want you to eat really good food together and think about me. It was a priority for God. And then Jesus comes on the scene and we see him making a priority of eating with his followers. In fact, I love this picture of one morning when Jesus made breakfast for the disciples. I don't know if you've ever read this before. He makes breakfast for the disciples, and it's just after he's been raised from the dead. Listen to what it says. John chapter 21, verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were um, so many, the net had not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. So he's like risen from the dead. He's alive. And what's one of the things he does? Let's have breakfast. I've made, I'm making some fish here on the fire. I've got some bread. Let's hang out and let's eat together. There's something about eating together. It's all throughout Scripture. In fact, you get to the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is sort of looking ahead at what will be in God's kingdom, what will be in the future. And you know one of the things that the Bible describes is this giant feast with him. You see, there's just something about it. Have you experienced this? There's something about eating together that breaks down walls and builds connections. There's just something about it. And it's actually a spiritual, a spiritual reality to eat together, to break bread with one another. And Jesus valued it deeply. He did it all the time with his followers, and he also did it with people who were not his followers. In fact, Jesus was criticized over and over again for the kinds of people that he would eat with. It was a priority to him. And I am so encouraged to see a devotion to breaking bread becoming more and more a part of this church family. I'm beginning to see this rise up within our body. I know that on, on Tuesday nights, there are three life groups that meet here on campus, and they've just made a habit on every Tuesday night that they eat pizza together. I've also heard that they're now going to join the gym together because of that. No, just kidding. Um, but that's just sort of become a thing. It's like, let's just, let's just eat together. Let's do this pizza thing every Tuesday night. Our governing board, our, our, you know, our, our leaders in this church, we meet on a monthly basis, and, and the first thing we do before we meet is we, we eat together. There's something about it. 
There's a small group of ladies who meet weekly. And I know that eating together has become an important priority to their gatherings. There's just something about eating together. And the Bible tells us that one of the priorities that the early church devoted themselves to, teaching, fellowship, and let's eat together. There's something significant about that. And my prayer is that it will become more and more a part of who we are as a church. In fact, let me just give you a little preview of something that's coming up um, on December 10th, a few weeks from now. I told you we're going to break down each of these. And then on December 10th, the week after, we're going to talk about what it means to break bread together, a whole message on it. The next week, guess what we're going to do in that, that Sunday in church? We're going to eat together. That's going to be church that day. What? Yeah. You're going to come in here. It's going to be tables instead of chairs like this. There's not going to be a message that day. We're going to, our gathering, our church gathering is going to be to eat together. It's going to be sweet. I look forward to it. And if you go, ah, I don't know, it's other people's food. Come, please. I think you'll discover that there is something sweet. There's something connecting that happens when you share a meal with people. So what about you? Does a devotion to eating together describe you and your relationships? Our culture has, has migrated away from family-style meals, haven't we? Especially here in the Pacific Northwest. But I pray that we as a church family will rediscover the value of breaking bread together. That we will resurrect an ancient commitment to eat together. And if we took this simple practice seriously of becoming a family who values eating together, what it will require is some sacrifice of our time and our energy to make it a priority. Some of you are going, I can't imagine eating with these people right here because we don't even eat together as a family. What if, what if the Spirit of God began stirring our hearts the value of eating more often together as a family and eating more often together as a family right here? As a church, I pray that he does that in us. And I think he's beginning. Let's go to the last one. The early church devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. Prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. We've already seen in Acts chapter 1 a few weeks ago that those early followers of Jesus came together and they devoted themselves to prayer as they waited for the Spirit to come. And as we continue through the book of Acts in the months to come, we will see over and over and over again how the church devoted themselves to praying together. See, they believed, they absolutely believed to the core of their being the purpose and the power of prayer. And so, so much so that it became a central part of their gatherings together. And I wonder, how many of us right here this morning really know what the purpose of prayer is and if we really understand the power of it. My prayer is that that will grow in us as a church. And I'm seeing God stir the embers of prayer in our church family. There's a group of ladies who meet every week in this church for the express purpose of praying for their kids. That's all they do. They just get together and they pray for their kids. 
Justine shared with me that there are several teachers, you know, teachers of the young kids in church who, um, who have made a habit and a commitment to pray for the kids in their class every week. That's sweet. There are people who gather in this room right here on Saturdays to pray for you, to pray for what's happening right here in this moment. I'm seeing a devotion to prayer beginning to rise within our church. In fact, we have a group of people who are committed to praying for you and with you uh, on weekend services. In fact, we've been doing some training with them over the last couple of weeks and starting next Sunday, every single week, every Sunday, after every service, there will be some people up here who are willing and ready and want to talk with you, pray with you, and pray for you. Because my desire is to see us redevote ourselves to the power and the purpose of prayer. So again, make it a little bit personal. Does a devotion to prayer describe your life? And, and listen, listen, please don't mishear me. I'm not talking about how often do you check off the box of praying. No, no, no. We need to rediscover what prayer is. It's not about checking off boxes. What prayer is is understanding that God wants to talk to us and we can talk to him because he loves us. What if we were to rediscover that? What might happen if we rediscovered devotion to prayer? What would happen in your life, in this church, in our community, if we rediscovered it? As the church lived out those four priorities, teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer, it had an impact. It had an impact on that early church, and it had an impact on their community. Let me read it again. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. You know what that means? Having favor with all the people? It means that all the people who are not a part of the church, the people in their community, they saw them with favor. They, they saw the church as, as a good thing. Wouldn't wouldn't it be great if that was true? <clears throat> and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's what I think. I think that there were people in that community who looked at the church and how they were operating. And they went, that is compelling. Look at how these people love each other. Look at how they're meeting each other's needs. Look at how devoted they are to this God. I want that. And every single day, people were coming to faith. That's what happened as, they, as a result of their devotion to these four foundational priorities. So what if, what if, what if we, us right here, what if we, empowered by the Spirit, were to embrace these devotions? the same ones that emerged in the early church. What if we were to go back to our roots? Because this is the beginning. This is where it all started. What if we were to go back to our roots and were to devote ourselves to the th same four priorities they devoted themselves to? I wonder what would happen. <laughs> I think it'd be pretty awesome. I want to close by sharing a, a little story with you. Some of you know some of this. Um, 
But if you haven't been around here for very long, you may not know that earlier in this year, I was out of commission for five months. I was not here. I was on leave because uh, I had come to a place where I was uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. Like I didn't want to get out of bed. Kind of, I was at a very low place. And, um, and, and our leadership team graciously allowed me, um, it started out as three months away, and it turned into five because I was not ready. And, um, and what you may not know, I, I've shared this at one, to, one point, was that I, um, when I started out and I took off and I was just at this low place physically and in every way, uh, I was quite sure that I would not return here or ever return to ministry. I was, um, I was so done and so discouraged and so empty that I was quite sure, in fact, I spent my first two months trying to figure out what else I could do for a living. <laughs> like, what other jobs could I do? What could, what, what could we do? Because I was sure I was not going to do this anymore. I had nothing left in my tank. And, and, and besides that, I had absolutely no vision for this church, <laughs> which is kind of important for my role. It was gone. I had nothing. And so we spent a couple of months trying to figure out what else like I could do for a living. And I had no intention of really coming back. I didn't think that would ever happen. During that time, as I was wrestling with these realities, uh, Stacy and I went to uh, a conference. And, uh, and actually, the, the, the guy who was teaching this conference it had nothing to do with this. But it just so happened that as he was teaching, he had this sort of side note. And he just sort of mentioned this passage I just talked about. Specifically, Acts 2, verse 42, that identifies these four priorities. And he, and he said, again, it wasn't even in his message. He just sort of like a side message. He said, he said you know, the, the early church, the, their priorities were teaching and fellowship and breaking bread and prayer. And he said, what would happen if those were the, if those were the priorities of the church today? And then he just went on with this message. It wasn't even like what he was talking about. But God used that to plant a seed in my heart at that moment when I had no hope of anything, when I had no vision whatsoever. And that seed began to grow over those five months to the point to where when I was clear that God was saying, I'm not done with you and I'm bringing you back, he had planted a fresh vision in me. And the vision was this, what if, Jim, you were to come back and not do church as usual? What if, what if it wasn't just status quo, go back and do the things you've always been doing for the last 20-something years? What if you came back and were to lead this church to a devotion to teaching and fellowship and breaking bread and prayer? What if that was it? What if it was that simple? And so God did bring me back. And I want you to know that my passion and my vision is this message I just shared and why I broke it up four more times because we're going to stay here for a while. Because I believe that God has me here right now for this purpose. is to help lead us to, in my own life to practice this and to lead us back to our roots. To devote ourselves afresh to learning and engaging in 
God's word. To devote ourselves to one another. A kind of deep connection that maybe none of us even experience in our lives right now. To valuing just simply eating together. And to learning how to really, really pray. That's the reason I'm here now. And I believe that God wants to begin to do a fresh new thing in you and in me as we devote ourselves to that. Would you stand up with me? Here's the ask. Next four weeks, we're going to unpack each and every one of these. I'm going I'm to say, you know, what is the step you can take in each of these four areas? But for today, it's just an overview of these four things. And I just want to ask you, would you wrestle with this? And I say wrestle because I know, I know us, right? I know myself. That you've heard some of these things, you go, I don't want to hang out more with these people. I don't like eating with people. Prayer, huh, I don't know. Being devoted to teaching, well. Would you wrestle with this? Would, would you be willing, would you be courageous enough to say, to God, to, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. If, if there's any of those four areas they go, I don't know, ask him why. God, why is it that I don't want to be devoted to that? What is it in me that's afraid of that? Would you reveal that? Would you, would you be courageous enough to ask him to do that? I, I want to confess, I made a confession earlier about my view of the word fellowship. That one didn't go over so well, but let me show, share one more. I just want to share something with you that you may not like. That I've been praying for you. I just want to look so I say it correctly. I've been praying this. That the Spirit of God would make you uncomfortable with status quo faith. I would say I'm sorry, but honestly, I'm not. I'm not. I've been praying that for you. That God would make you restless and uncomfortable with status quo, with just showing up to church on Sunday and doing the thing and going out and doing your life the rest of the week and showing up. I've been praying that you would be so disillusioned and uncomfortable with that that you would hunger for something deeper and something more. That's my prayer for you. So if you're feeling dissatisfied with just the status quo, I'm not sorry. And if there is something that is welling up within you, this hunger, this thirst, this desire for something more, something more meaningful, something deeper, that's the Spirit of God. Would you please follow and listen to Him? Because I believe that what God wants to do is to refresh His church and to bring us back to the devotions that were and to make them the devotions that are today. And if we can get there, I think God's going to do amazing things, like crazy things, like people coming daily to faith in Jesus, like us having such a deep, devoted relationship with one another that people look from the outside and say, I want that. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray for us again that you'd make us, myself included, uncomfortable with just walking through the motions and status quo faith, just putting in our time. 
would we just become so uncomfortable with that that we would long and hunger for something more, something deeper, something real, that you'd fill us with a deep, deep devotion for you, for your word, for one another, that you'd teach us how to pray, that you'd show us that there's value in something silly like eating together. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd begin to do a fresh new work in us. And I pray that you'd begin now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, family. Next week, I'm going to be talking about being devoted to teaching. We're going to dive into that. God bless you. Have a great week.